I've been off work, as you all know, and I greatly appreciate the love and support that I've received from so many people and the prayers. But I'm going to be coming back to work, not this week, but the week after. And um, really looking forward to that. And um, so I know, you know, when I went on holidays, when I went on leave, I um, wasn't holidays, but it was leave. I just stopped making those Bible videos. And I always meant to pop up a little short or something and say, I'll be back. I said, I never got around to doing that. So my apologies to everyone who watches YouTube. The, the Bible videos, I'll be filming um, Tuesday week and I'll make some more chapters and then it'll be another week or two after that and I'll start, they'll start streaming on YouTube again. So, you know, we'll start to get back to a few of the normal things that used to happen. So looking forward to that. So even though I've been on leave, I haven't been completely um, avoiding the church. I've been doing some churchy things. And last weekend I went out to um, visit Jason and Liz in Blackall. And so you all remember Jason and Liz? And uh, they are the most wonderful people. And they went out to Blackall at the start of the year. And, uh, you know, we laid hands on them here and we sent them off. And um, I went out to visit them, took the boys with me in March. And, um, but since then, no one has been to visit them. And I really felt like we ought to go and check in on them and see how they're doing. And I have to tell you, they're doing great. You couldn't pick... I remember Jason standing here on the stage saying, pray for us because we're novices. Who remembers him saying that? For novices, they're doing an amazing job. <laughs> and he will, he'll still tell you that he's a novice. He, he said it last weekend. He said, I still feel like a novice. But, you know, they, the one thing they've got going for them is they pray. Those two, they, they pray. They pray about everything. And um, I tell you what, you can be a novice, but if you're prayerful, I reckon you'd be 90% of the way to being a pro right there because <laughs> you've got God helping you. So they're doing a terrific job. The church is growing. This is a town of only 800 people. They've got up to 40 people in the church. They've got men in the church, unheard of, for, you know, a country town. Um, so I just, you know, we're sitting around the dinner table and they're telling me some of the things they've been through, some of the challenges. They prayed their way through them. And I'm thinking to myself, this is unbelievable. The, the Lord is here. He's working with them and... Um, and uh, anyway, I just feel really, really grateful to God for the way he does things. And I want to encourage you all to go and spend a weekend with Jason and Liz in Blackall. And uh, look at your calendar. You need at least a Saturday and a Sunday. You can do it on a Saturday and Sunday. But I encourage you, if you can take a Friday off work, drive out on a Friday, hang out in Blackall on the Saturday, you know, go see the, the Black Stump, go to the Wool Scour, go do the Outbacky Blackall things. And uh, go to church with them on Sunday and drive home. You can leave at uh, 12 o'clock on a Sunday and be home by about 7.30 on a Sunday night. So it's not an unbearable drive. And there's now been a shortcut put in from Jericho through to Blackhall, which saves you an hour of, your, of driving. And that road is a fabulous outback road. Straight. You could go 150 if you were legally allowed to. But, but don't, of course. Do the right thing. But you can go 110, and that's legal. And um, so I want you all to, to go home and think about when can we visit Jason and Liz and pick a weekend and go and do it. And, um, but in addition to that, they actually have, you know how we've been doing an annual prayer walk in Blackhall the last few years? 
That weekend is going to be October 30, let me just get the date here, 21st and 22nd of October. So they're doing their annual prayer walk and you're invited to that. And so it'd be great if a whole bunch of us could just turn up in Blackall, join them for their day of prayer for the town and um, just bring your sleeping bags and you can we'll all sleep on the floor of the church. And, um, or bring a tent, pitch it up outside. They've, the church is on one or two acres. There's a lot of lawn. They've got unlimited hot water. It's the beauty of the artesian system out there. The problem out west isn't hot water, it's cold water because it comes out of the ground hot. So if you want to sprinkle your lawn, they have, I don't know if you've ever been out and seen their sprinklers. They have these sprinklers that are about this high off the ground and they spray a fine mist. So by the time the water hits the ground, it's cooled down enough not to kill the grass. So interesting, um, and they've got these giant tanks for letting the water cool down. So when you turn on the cold tap, you've actually got cold water, cool-ish water. So anyway, unlimited hot water. Even if 50 of us turn up to their church, you will have a hot shower. Nothing to worry about. So anyway, keep Jason and Liz in your prayers. Look at your calendar and consider, can you go out on the 21st and the 22nd? But if you can't, pick another weekend and go and visit them. They're dear folks and they appreciate uh, the connection, you know, with us here in Rockhampton. All right. We're going to have a quick prayer. Lord, we thank you that you're with us. Thank you the Holy Spirit is our friend and our guide. And I ask this morning that you would be our teacher as we just take a few minutes in the scriptures to consider baptism. Lord, make it live for us today, in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we did have these few baptisms, and um, we knew we wouldn't have a lot of time for a sermon because of youth camp testimonies and baptisms. So we thought we'd put this discussion of hospitality and, and church values on hold and just talk about baptism today. Um, in, in some churches, um, there's this kind of idea that you shouldn't get baptised until you understand what you're doing. And, uh, you know, some churches have baptism courses, like a 12-week course. If you say you want to be baptised, you start the course. Here we've got the baptism book, which we always encourage everyone to read the baptism book. And, um, and you should. You should read the baptism book. There's an, an unbelievable amount of wonderful information in that book. So there's this thought out there in lots of places that you shouldn't be baptised unless you know, if, unless you understand it really well. And, um, but in the Bible, we've got stories of people that were baptised on the spur of the moment. Like in Acts chapter 8, there's that story of the Ethiopian, um, you know, he was a eunuch, he was a public servant for Queen Candace from Ethiopia, he was driving his chariot, and it was kind of in the moment, got saved, and oh, there's a, a creek, let's get baptised right now. So there's an in-the-moment baptism. That bloke did not have a chance to read a baptism book or do a 12-week course. He didn't really understand the, the levels of understanding that is possible to have about baptism. He simply just got baptised. And, um, and that's okay too. It's okay to just be baptised and learn later on everything that there is to learn about it. Either way is actually fine. And the reason for that is because is in a lot of Western churches, you know, like American, Australian churches, English churches, we've been, Christianity's been, Christianity's been such a formal part of our lives 
that it, we have these systems that develop. So the systems are, you know, we have baptism systems. In the Catholic Church, they have catechism. And, you know, different churches have methods of doing things. And so um, we have this idea that you become a Christian and then you decide at some point you're going to be baptised, so you learn about it and be baptised. But in a lot of parts of the world, being baptised is how you become a Christian. That's like the thing you do to start your Christian journey. And so you would naturally not have a chance to learn about it. And these are the kind of stories we have in the Bible of people who just like the Philippians, the Philippian jailer, he gets saved that night with his whole family and they're baptised that night. There's kids in that family, his wife. That would have been a Roman household which probably had slaves. Like the, in the entire house, baptising one night. These people probably had no idea what it was they were doing, but all they knew was, we want to follow Jesus. This is what you do to follow Jesus, so we're going to do it. So it's just a thing you do. So I'm saying all of that to say... That if you're sitting here and your reason for not being baptised is, I don't understand what I'm doing, it's not a reason. Okay? <laughs> it's not a reason. Because there's been plenty of people over the years who've put off their baptism thinking, oh, I don't understand it. No, it's not a reason. There is, there is a reason for being baptised. It's that you want to follow Jesus and Jesus said to do it. That's the reason right there. You can learn all about it later. In fact... Whenever we preach on baptism, the most of the people in the congregation will already have been baptised, and so they're learning about it later. And it doesn't diminish the wonders of what, what the wonderful things that baptism means. It just means you can look back on your own baptism experience and say, you know, that's, that's, that's great. That's wonderful that that's what the Lord did for me. And in some cases, there's parts of it you never applied to your life, and you can start applying them to your life, even though you were baptised a decade ago. And so this morning, we're just going to take another five or ten minutes and talk about one or two things that, that are connected with baptism. And even if you were baptised 50 years ago, you can apply these things to your life today. All right? And if you haven't been baptised, well, you don't have to wait until you know everything about it to say, I want to follow the Lord and be baptised. All right. So... As was already mentioned, Jesus told us to be baptised. That's found in Matthew chapter 28 in the Great Commission. And in Matthew chapter 3, that's the story of Jesus being baptised, which has also been mentioned earlier today. What I wanted to take you to right now is the book of Romans, chapter 3. And we're going to read verses 3 to 7. I haven't given the, the young men back there the scripture reference, so my apologies if it doesn't appear, but I will just read for you. Don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. We should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Often when we read the Bible, we read things like this and we think they're kind of like a spiritual analogy to help us understand. But no, what 
sometimes they are spiritual analogies, but in many cases, it's actually a super reality. It's something that's more real than reality, but we need an analogy by which to understand it. So yes, it's an analogy, but it's an analogy that's pointing to something that's actually super real or more real than the reality we're used to. So in baptism, according to this passage, when you are baptized, you actually are baptized into Christ. Something about this experience puts you into Jesus. That's not just, this isn't just some kind of analogy like, oh, now I've joined the club. You know, it is, it is a I've joined the club type of a thing, but there's a spiritual thing that goes on with it as well. Something that's, that's much more real than just becoming a Christian, just saying, now I'm a Christian. So Paul says that when you go into baptism, you are baptised into his death. In other words, there's a part of you that's actually, that dies. There's a part of you that's actually, it's like a part of you is on the cross with Jesus, and when Jesus died, a part of you is with him. And now you might say, some of you who remember your baptism, you might not have felt any different at the time. Some people, when they're baptised, they feel tremendously different. They come up out of the water and they just know they're a different person. Well, sometimes the Lord gives you the grace of feelings, but the feeling itself isn't, isn't necessarily a guarantee of what does or doesn't happen. But what we've got is a reality in Christ that's beyond our feelings. Now, not really wanting to talk about feelings today, but everyone does seem to get hung up on feelings. It is a thing. And if you think about God for a minute, he doesn't have a body, does he? There's no nervous system in God. He doesn't have touch, taste, sight, sound, or anything like that. So if God was to speak in the normal way that God speaks, there wouldn't be any sound waves, would there? If God was to touch you in the way that God would normally touch, there wouldn't be any sense of touch. What I'm trying to say is that for God to give you feelings, he actually has to do something that's not natural for him. Because God doesn't have a nervous system and all those five sets. He has something that's greater than that. And what I'm trying to say is that if you don't have any feelings that are physical when you go through an experience, that's okay, because that's not the way that God does things. God doesn't operate in the five senses. Sometimes you'll have an experience in your feelings what that means is God has done something supernatural for you. He's, given, he's gone beyond the, the usual order and given you something supernatural. So it's always nice when it happens, but it's no guarantee that something has, hasn't happened. So when you're baptised, you're actually somehow placed into Christ in his death. And when you come up out of the water, somehow you've been joined with Christ in his resurrection. The marvellous, there's something marvellous about that where you've been connected with the Lord in what he has done on the cross and being raised again three days later. And Paul says, if you've been united with him in a death like his, you will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him. In other words, the part of you... The old part of you, the part that loved sin, 
the part that loved doing the wrong thing is dead, is gone. It's nailed up to the cross. It's no longer there. Now you might say, well, I still kind of feel like doing the wrong thing sometimes. True, because what you've got is a lifetime of bad habits. <laughs> but the part of you that was tied to that thing is now gone. You're not tied to that thing any longer. It's gone. You don't, you know, you're not, it's kind of like, you ever seen those movies where, you know, pirates, you know, they tie an anchor to a fellow and throw him overboard? Well, you know, that's what we're talking about here. You're not tied to the anchor anymore. You might be overboard in the drink of this life and around you there's sin and struggle, but you have the Lord and he'll pull you on his ship. You're not tied to that anchor and floundering in the sea any longer. And that's the wonder of baptism. You've been, you've been crucified with him. And you've been raised with him. So baptism comes with a blessing. It comes with a means of grace. And in the story of Jesus, we saw the blessing. The Holy Spirit came upon him and the voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love and with him I am well pleased. Or it may be in your case, this is my daughter whom I love and with you I am well pleased. Baptism comes with the approval of God and his love. It comes with that blessing, but it comes with these other blessings as well. The blessing that you are no longer chained to your sin. You're free. So you know at the cross, Jesus forgives us of our sin. But when you follow the water into baptism, you're released from the chain that ties you to it. In other words, it doesn't have power over you anymore. What happens is sometimes we sin and we say to the Lord, forgive me, and he forgives you. And then you do it again. And sometimes you are chained to your sin so that it's got the power over you. But in baptism, the grace is there so that you are no longer chained to your sin. There's power available to you to be released. That anchor that is weighing you down has been cut. You are no longer, it is no longer your master. And we're going to read that a little bit further down here. It says that somewhere. Let me find it. Verse 11, it says, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to Jesus Christ. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey it. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness, for sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under law but under grace. So what happens is sometimes we as Christians, we act like we're still chained to it and we're trying to find our anchor and tie it back to our leg because that's just kind of how we feel about ourselves. We kind of think that sin's so powerful, it's got a hold of us and oh, I couldn't possibly overcome it. So we kind of act like we've still got the ball and chain. But no, it says sin will no longer be your master because you're not under law, you're under grace. So what you should say is, Lord, I've been baptised into grace. I'm under grace. Lord, I'm an overcomer because you've helped me. You know what the book of Revelation says? We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. So when you start believing what the Lord has done for you, you find that the power of sin in your life is not what you thought it was before. Well, all of these are wonderful things that we have available to us because of baptism. 
there's something about the Christian sacraments. There's like a connection between physical things, like the cup and the bread, or the waters of baptism, and spiritual things. Physicists will tell you the world is made of atoms, but the world is made of more than atoms. The Bible says that in him, in him all things hold together. The world is made of atoms plus Christ. And when we follow the Lord in baptism, or when we partake of the sacraments like communion, it's not just a physical experience. It's a physical plus a spiritual experience combined. And so you find that there's grace at work in you if you activate it with your faith. So when someone is baptised, they realise there's a blessing here for me in this. It's not just purely obedience to the Lord alone. There's a blessing that flows to you through baptism and you will start to see it working in your life in the days to come. Now maybe you were baptised a long time ago and you didn't remember that or didn't know that or didn't experience that. Well, you need to activate it. You say, Lord, I was baptised into Christ. Slave is no, sin is no longer my master. I'm under grace. The weight of sin has been broken. So you start exercising your faith because the grace of these things is available to you. In the end of this passage, Romans 6, you can go read the whole passage at home. It's Romans 6, chapters, uh, verses 1 to 14. That's the baptism section. You can go read at home and think about it. In the end of this passage, in verse 11, he says, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to Christ. So he's just been explaining how you actually are dead to sin, but now he's saying, count yourselves dead to sin. So it's, um, it's, it's not just a reality. It's also something that you should choose to take action with. And the point that I'm trying to make, I guess, is that you imagine that you um, found some slaves and they were all chained up and they were all working away and you go along and you unchain them all. Now they're all free, but they've actually got to walk away. You know what I mean? Sometimes people are so conditioned in their minds that they still stay in the spot they were even though they could walk away. They don't. It's like those little elephants. They, you know how they get little elephants and they tie them up? And when they're little, they can't pull the, they can't pull the peg loose. And then when they become a big elephant, they still tie them up with this little tiny string and the elephant thinks it cannot pull the rope loose. So it's just in the brain. And sometimes we, we don't take the freedom that we're supposed to have because in the brain we think we're chained. But Paul says, count yourselves dead to sin. In other words, you are free, but now act like it. Start doing something about it. So that's a word for all of you who've been baptised before. Start using your freedom for Christ. Now yesterday, I, um, I'm going to finish with this little story and, and we'll have a prayer. Yesterday I was invited to, this is Vietnamese pastor in Rockhampton, Pastor Cao King, King Cao. I've struggled to pronounce his name. And um, he's the happiest guy that you've ever met, but he's really hard to understand. You have to concentrate with all your attention when he's talking and you pick up about half the words he says and then generally, hopefully, you get the gist of what he's trying to say. So yesterday he was in the ministry, he was in the ministry for 30 years, 22 years in Vietnam and eight years here in Rockhampton. And yesterday he had a special little service to say, you know, a Thanksgiving service. And he invited this Vietnamese um, preacher from Brisbane and she came up and they had a special service and then a lunch and everything.
So I went to the service. I didn't get to stay at the lunch, sadly. It all looked pretty amazing. But um, he, he was speaking, and there was this translator. And this is the first time I've got to hear Pastor King in all of his wondrous glory because he's hard to understand. But he was telling stories from when he was a young pastor in Vietnam. And my respect for the guy just went through the roof, listening to what he went through as a young pastor. And you know what I thought? This guy, I knew I was going to talk about baptism today. This is a guy who has identified himself with Christ. He, you know, he looked at, you know, the cross is an instrument of death. It's an instrument of suffering. Um, and we as Christians are called to be crucified with Christ. So in your baptism, you're, you are crucified with Christ, but you're actually called to live a life where you identify with the cross. In other words, you're called to live a life of being willing, if needed, to suffer, being willing to do hard things at times. And yesterday, I just thought, when I heard Pastor King tell his story, I thought, man, I'm going to share it with you this morning as an example of someone who lives a type of life who was identified with Christ in his suffering, identified in the cross. As a young man, he felt called to the ministry. He was just 19 or 20. And then he felt like the Lord said to him he wanted him to go preach in the highlands. Now, clearly this was a big deal for him. I struggled to get the sense of what a big deal this was in Vietnam. But apparently in the highlands... It's a very, very difficult place to go and be a preacher. And I guess the Communist Party is much more strongly embedded in this place. And um, he told me that his, he said that his parents didn't want him to go. His parents were Christians, but they did not want him to go preach in the Highlands. And he said what they would do is they would go in for four weeks and they would do this thing and then they would leave. There was this system. They wouldn't stay there the whole entire time. And the Communist Party were following them to try to find where they were. And he shared these couple of stories where on two occasions he miraculously escapes the communist police. There's another young pastor that, who was um, working alongside of him who was caught and shot by the communists. So he's, he lost a colleague in the ministry, but he was saying there's one night they had a big Christmas party planned from 7pm to, to 9pm, and he woke up that morning with this burden on his heart that they had to start it at 5pm and finish it by 7 so he told everyone, we're having Christmas at five, not seven. And just as they were finishing up, the communist police all rolled in. But it was too late. They'd already had their Christmas celebrate. All the villagers, which the communist party didn't want to hear, too late, they'd all heard. And he um, escaped because they didn't know his name. They, they were pronouncing his name wrong. Seems like the pronunciation thing's still following him. And um, he was right there. But they were asking the villagers, where's this guy, Muthuri? Or what? They were saying his name wrong. And because they were saying it slightly wrong, he escaped. He was right there and he was able to slink off into the, the, the like, you know, basically get away. And he was telling me these couple of stories how at another event, the police were just about to grab them, but then there was a car crash right there and the police had to attend to the car crash and they were able to get away. And uh, there's these couple of amazing stories, but he, he told this third story of this one time when they actually did get their hands on him and they arrested him. And, um, but they had nothing to actually charge him with. And he said, at two o'clock in the morning, they said to him, all right, you're released. This is 2 a.m. in the morning. Off you go. And apparently when he was arrested, they'd arrested him with great fanfare, seven police cars and all this, surrounded the house, got a hold of him. And at 2 a.m. in the morning, they say to him, all right, off you go. And he said, I am not leaving. 
He said, I want you to take me back the way you brought me with seven police cars. So apparently in, Cambo in uh, Vietnam, if they release you at two or three in the morning on your own, it's because they're about to kill you. You'll go wandering off on the street, it'll be the middle of the night and someone will put a bullet in your head. And so he was like, no, no, you take me back home the way you brought me here with all the cars. And so that's the kind of the, the for 22 years, that's the world that Pastor King Cow was living in. And um, they were showing us videos of um, crowds, you know, hundreds of people praising and worshiping. And my esteem for that guy just went right up hearing all those stories. But you know what, here's a guy who said to the Lord, yes, I'll go to the highlands, this difficult part of Vietnam. Well, you know, that's someone that's identified with Christ in his crucifixion, right? Well, that's what baptism is supposed to do for you. Through baptism, you say, I'm going to follow the Lord. I'm going to identify with Christ in his crucifixion. In other words, are you willing to do hard things for Jesus if he asks of you? So that's a part of what baptism is. So I'm going to invite the band to come. We have a prayer. And um, I'm going to leave you with that challenge. You know, you may have been baptised. You know, well, I guess there's two challenges here this morning. If you've never been baptised, are you going to be baptised? Are you going to say, I'm going to follow the Lord regardless of what it means? If it means a difficult difficulties or if it means no difficulty, whatever it means, you're willing. If you've never been baptised, are you willing to obey the Lord in baptism? But for those of you who are baptised, to take a fresh look at it and say, am I willing to be identified with Christ in his crucifixion. And you know what? If you are, then you'll be identified with him in his resurrection too. And that's worthy of another sermon, and that's a terrifically amazing thing. Father, I ask that you would now touch every heart this morning with the convicting power of Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that you would be the voice that speaks. And Lord, I thank you that you've taken a hold of us, you've forgiven us our sins, which were many, and Lord, I thank you that your Holy Spirit guides us. And I pray that you'd bring us into all truth. I pray you'd strengthen your people, strengthen the church and lift it up. And um, Lord, I pray this morning for those who have not known baptism. I pray that you would speak to them and draw them to yourself. And for those of us who have known baptism, I pray, Heavenly Father, that there would be a resolve within us that sin will not be our master that Christ will be our master, that we would surrender afresh to you. So Lord, touch every person here today in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.